the reason we only talk about faithfulness is because the whole thing couldn't happen without faithfulness. And guess what? I forgot my notes. So I'm really working on faithfulness tonight. <laughs> I never forget anything. I think it's a sense of humour God has. Any rate, not to worry. Um, so the audiovisual is coming. Um, I wanted to start off with a couple of verses um, that sort of guide our work. And um, knowing that we can't do this work without God. So the first one is um, Psalm 37, the first seven verses. It says, Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. There's a lot of corruption in Africa, which kind of gets under our skin a lot. So that's an encouraging start. Verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated when one who prospers in his way by the evil man who carries out evil plans. Um, and the other guiding verse is Galatians. I'll just have a seat for a minute. Um, Galatians um, 5. Um, and this is a very familiar um, passage, um, basically about the fruits of the Spirit. And I find it interesting that um, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And for me, patience comes before faithfulness. I'm not a particularly patient kind of person, but I've worked out that you can have all the faith that you want and you can have all the plans that you want, but God brings those to fruition in his time. And so I'm also learning patience. So... The next slide, Karen, will give us a um, just a. I just wanted to give you a quick snapshot on where how we've got to this point. So, Global School started in 2010, and really the first five years we were looking at helping our schools just to have the basics. So, fresh water, clean classrooms, hopefully made out of brick and not mud and sticks. Um, giving children textbooks, giving them desks, giving them the basic necessities for education. And then in 2016, we really started looking at and trying to understand about absenteeism because when we put water tanks in, we started to keep absentee records um, and we realised that when children don't wash their hands after going to the toilet, they get sick and therefore they're absent from school. And yet we noticed this pattern of women, of young girls, especially in the upper uh, grades, missing quite a lot of school. And so we put two and two together and realised that a lot of the girls there don't have any access to sanitary items and therefore they stay home when it's their period. So they were missing a lot of school. So in the team that went in 2016 made some investigations around that. 2017 we put in a uh, trial 
where we um, were given these pads. Um, I'll just pass them along. So um, what was called Pad Heaven um, was a group of women uh, in Kenya who were making pads. Um, and you can see that in these uh, little um, pad, uh, boxes come the pads with a pair of undies and some soap. So we did a trial and we had an 86% drop in absenteeism. So it really encouraged us and it made our focus this year on the Young Women's Programme. And um, we um, have had a number of successes down that road. Um, but I thought what we would do first is I would actually ask Karen to come and talk about what it's like to be a woman or a young girl in Kenya. Because it is not the same as it is for us. And just while Karen's um, coming along, the faithfulness that we have seen in a practical way has been tangible this year. So we've had a huge number of um, uh, partners who have come alongside us in small ways and large ways. The trivia night was fantastic. We raised some money from that. The cupcakes was raised some more. And we raised about $11,000 all up from schools and from Vision. And Simon was also given the opportunity to talk at a Rotary event and then um, put in a grant or put in an application for a grant. And he got close to $27,000 for that. So we now have God is so faithful that from the beginning of this year, with this as being our, our goal for this year, we have the funds now to be able to do something really good. So I'll come back and talk to you about that in a minute. But I just wanted to share... Let Karen share what it feels like and looks like to be there. And we survived. We did. And you were telling me that that ties back into the patience and God's timing with um, the flow of funds for that um, project. All right. <clears throat> You'll have to excuse my croaky winter voice. I just wanted to... Um, paint a picture of what uh, life is a bit like for some of these women that we've been and and come and put real faces to. To us now, then, they're not just beautiful African photos on the wall. They're, you know, much more real to us now. So in Kenya, some basic statistics, the population of Kenya is about 49 million and they fit in an area that's smaller than New South Wales. So Kenya is about 70% of the size of New South Wales. So imagine 49 million people packed in that. 74% uh, of people live in rural areas and 42% of the population live in poverty. The life expectancy of a woman is about 69 which I actually thought was high compared to Namibia where it's 40-something. But in Australia, average woman is expected to live to be about 84. So it's quite different to what we experience. Um, it's a patriarchal society, which was a bit of a surprise to run into that after living here. Um, we ran into... Uh, we got to know men who 
really talk about, you know, many women and that's the Kenyan men's dream to have many women. Um, and they talk about women like we might have here in Australia 50 years ago, you know. Um, they don't they don't think education's as important for the women. Um, we ran into one man that we really like very much and have a lot of time for, but he would t he told us very proudly after after working out that we got a bit thingy about his attitude towards women. He said, um, "But I iron the shirts for my wife," <laughs> and we thought. A couple of the girls thought, oh my goodness, that is just dreadful. But actually, that is really quite progressive for him. And he has come quite a way in his thinking for a Kenyan man. And he very strongly believes and, and promotes in his school one, li one wife for life. Um, he's, a, he's a Christian and uh, that's one of the reasons, but one of the other reasons in Kenya that they promote that is because of um, the high rate of HIV. So, four to five percent of the population are affected by AIDS or HIV. And that makes it one of the fourth worst countries in the world for that. So, that doesn't paint a very rosy picture. But that's what life's like. So we went to um, Kisi in Namira County, which is right in the um, western part of Kenya. And just daily life is just interesting. I'm sure you've all seen photos of women in Africa fetching water. I actually wondered how bad it would be still, but most of the homes that we saw... Um, there was no running water and so women were actually carrying water on their head like that or that particular one where they're walking down to the bore. That was down quite a hill and then you've got to carry it back up again. Next one, Jan. This is going to the butcher. If you're lucky enough to be able to afford to go to the butcher, that is. But... Um, that's uh, the meat just hanging up out in the open. Um, we did actually have our lunch from that butcher, which was quite good. You've just got to know what to buy and when to buy it and how fresh it needs to be. Uh, none of us got sick from that. The lady, the lady and the man in that photo, they're from um, the Safe Havens Children Orphanage and we had the privilege after church to go to their place for lunch, which was just an awesome, awesome experience. Amazing people who definitely just um, rely on God. Next one, please, Jan. This is at Safe Haven too. This is some of the girls helping um, cook chapati for lunch. Um, you can see the cooking facilities there. That's pretty good compared to some that we saw. They actually had a dedicated area for cooking. They had table and bench space. And they actually had a lady who lives at the orphanage that helps prepare uh, meals and look after the kids. Um, she works there, but in a way she's been taken in too because her husband abandoned her with one or two little kids 
and she really couldn't make ends meet. But now she has a home and a job and, and a family again. And that story is not un, unfamiliar, that the husbands have gone and left the women in absolute poverty. They probably couldn't cope with two incomes if they had two incomes, but now there's only one. So this, <laughs> this was earning a living. If you could earn a living, it was usually um, people would grow anything they could and sell it beside the road. Um, some of them are a little bit blurry because I took them out of the bus while we were driving along. Um, these little stalls, it was not uncommon to see them and you could see 15 of them down the side of the road and they're all selling their excess tomatoes because they're all pretty much growing the same thing. Um, beautiful soil, when it's wet, they can grow lots of things, um, really nice produce. Um, over here they're selling sugar cane um, and we drove through Kissy through the markets quite a few times and, and there was just food food and stalls and chaos everywhere. Um, but every, every time you come to the market, you've got to bring all your stuff with you, you've got to take it all home with you. Um, anyway, it's not easy. This one's a beautiful lady working in the tea um, plantations. There were tea plantations around the county and lots of ladies out in the fields just picking tea. Um, and this one's helping unpack the trucks at the factory. Oops. Oh, yes. Even going to the toilet's a challenge. <laughs> we couldn't resist put this one up. One day we went to the toilets at the school and we had to walk around a cow to actually get to the toilets. But you can see I've got uh, toilet paper with me because you never quite knew what you were going to find in there. And we always had some hand sanitizers somewhere between all of us. And I don't know if that was that particular toilet, but that's about all you get. And that is really quite a good one. So, um, because it's got, it's got concrete walls and a concrete floor, so that's, that's pretty good. Some places that we visited, we actually wondered where the toilet was in... This was at a school, so all the schools now have toilets somewhere of varying standards. But in some places that we visited, more rural and people's homes, we actually wondered where the toilet was. I put this one in because it looks very yellow, but that might that's somebody's home. But there's stuff growing everywhere. Can you see there's bananas and there's um, right here on the right, there's some greens called sukumbaweki. They pick the green leaves off and use it sort of like spinach. But everywhere there's something growing. There's grass there that they cut for the cows. And in many places you would see they were growing right down to almost the road edge. It wouldn't be their property, but they're trying to squeeze as much in as they can because their blocks get smaller and smaller. We were talking to one fellow and he was like, yes, he's built a school on his block of land that his father's given him because the block of land next door has got to go to the younger brother 
and the property that dad owned somewhere else has gone to the older brother. So every, every time, every generation, the property gets carved up and there's less and less land to make any kind of living out of. So we had, we had the privilege to go and visit children that we actually sponsor. And this little girl that Jan's with, um, she's sponsored by Jan's sister. So this is Paulini, Paulina. And she lives high on a hill in this rendered mud and stick house with two rooms in it. There's no electricity. There's no running water. We couldn't see a tank. You can't see any gutters off the corrugated iron. Uh, um, the bedroom was just one sort of bed that they all kind of share. I couldn't quite gather how many lived in that house because there were about three little houses and there were grandparents and uncles and little kids and I couldn't quite get a handle on who lived in which house. Um, but it was a beautiful spot. I walked down the side and, and this was the view down the hill to the river and across the other side to the other county. As far as you could see, beautiful, green, fertile. Um, so while, while it's a wet season, everything grows like mad. I, I understand it's completely different in the middle of the dry season. But it was just a beautiful, beautiful spot. And we just kept saying, what would you pay for a view like this at home, you know? Um, but we wondered... How on earth do they get their water up there? We've got no idea where their water came from. Um, oh, I certainly hope it's not the river because that is a long way away. The next photos, this is the journey the girls have as they head off to school. And we, we walked this track with them. We walked in from the road. You go through the, cane um, through the cornfield. past the lady's cow with the lady yelling out, that's my cow. <laughs> and um, But, it, you know, it was beautiful and it was friendly and the girls that were with us were having a ball because they were when they were in the bus with us, they were laughing to their friends, look, we're in the bus, you know, something different. So the parents live in poverty but they want education for their children because they understand that this is a really good and the best way that they can escape this um, poverty. And they know and understand that education is Kenya's future. So they try really hard to get their kids to school. They try really hard to get their kids to a good school and they certainly know, like, the, the government schools... The kids can go to government schools, but they choose often to go to these independent schools that Global Schools Partners supports because um, the results are better, the education's better. And finding the fees is sometimes a struggle, but they try really hard to do that. And some of the directors that we met who've started these schools, they really have a heart for some of the kids there that are orphans or in dreadful circumstances. So... I had the privilege to go with Simon to talk to some of those directors and some of the 
things that they were struggling with were fees but then they had so many orphans or kids that parents just couldn't pay but they wouldn't kick them out because those kids needed to be there. So um, so f- for those kids, uh, for those schools, sponsorship's really, really beneficial. Um, the education system there is really exam-based and so, you've, as I understand it, you can't go to the next year level until you've passed the one before. So that really becomes quite critical for the girls if they're... Um, spending time away from school because it's that time of the month, um, you've got a fair chance of not making it through those grades. So progressing up becomes really fairly difficult. And then when you get to year eight, you um, sit the Kenyan... I forget the name of it, Jan. KCP. It's like the a standard Kenyan exam and they work out which high school you can go to from that. So if you do very well, you get to go to the best high schools um, and and then everywhere underneath that, you, so your grade determines what high school you can go to. So there's a lot of pressure on the kids to actually do really quite well and most of the schools we went to, you could see the grades up on the wall and you could see what they were expecting. So no pressure, kids. <laughs> But um, so there's a few issues wrapped around that as well. But then for the beautiful girls, a lot of them um, go to boarding school. A lot of the kids go to boarding school, but particularly uh, girls because they're safer there and they can get a better education there. They, um, they'll start the day really early studying and then they'll have breakfast and then they'll have class and after class they'll work some more as well. So it's pretty intense. And they go to boarding school from year four because at year four you can pretty much look after yourself. You can wash your own clothes and do all of those kind of things. Now, can you imagine our year fours going off to boarding school? I do not think so. Anyway, these these were some of the boarding houses that we saw. Um, double bunks everywhere. Um, some places there were two kids in each level of the bunk. So four kids to a, a bunk. So it wasn't, wasn't flash, but it was comfortable. It was mostly dry. <laughs> they were, they're well fed. Um, and they do have people that look like they really genuinely care about them. I wanted to show you this one because for the girls, having somewhere private to wash is a, a really key thing. So down the side of the yellow building, see the door where the brickwork is? There's a, um, in that school, there's a sheltered area right beside the boarding house. And... It's just screened off. All that's really in there is um, access to water and basins and um, it's cemented so it drains away but that's where the girls will, will bathe themselves. At this school, this was really flash, really well done because they're little cubicles so that each girl can actually go in there and privately wash herself And you can see the clothesline there with all the undies on them. (laughs) 
So in that one, Philip is standing near a tank. That's the kind of area I was trying to describe to you before. That one's probably got a few more buckets in it than the other one. But access to a tank and buckets and things to wash yourself out of in a screened-off area is, is something a bit special in these schools. And that's another school with all the borders washing on the line. And last but not least, I wanted to show you this picture of Anne. Anne is a director at Precious Talents Academy. They all have some really lovely, interesting names. Anne's quite special in her own right. Her and one, one other lady, they're the only two uh, principals or directors of these independent schools. And one of the men was telling us, that's just amazing, these women. And look at the schools they've got because they've got fabulous schools, big schools, and they're doing a fantastic job. But they're, being, they're relying on God. They're being faithful to what he's called them to do. And they're, and, and they're loving their community. They were fantastic. She was fantastic to us while we were there. But what blew me away was in the, I had the privilege to do some management training with Simon on a couple of days. And she told me this afternoon that she'd learnt so much off me. Now, heck, we had a conversation about accountability and integrity mainly and how to keep good records and how to budget and how to, how to get some financial control on your school. We talked a lot too, because I work at Trinity Christian School, we talked a lot about the journey of Trinity Christian School and where it had come and how one of the... One of the things I really hold on to from one of our former principals was that he always said to us, if we look after, if we keep God first and look after his people second, he will look after us. Now, that's not new stuff to us as Christians, but I put that in the conversation there somewhere and she came away with keep God first and love his people second. And I just was blown away by that because God will get his message through uh, whatever he wants people to do with whatever you are delivering, even if it is a more or less one-liner um, and the rest of it's about accountability and integrity. So God's awesome. That's her message. And I wonder what, where she will take that. I actually believe she was doing that because of the conversations we had with her. But she heard it again and she heard it fresh. And I just think she's going to make an amazing impact um, still on that school. And then we found this. And I think that ties into that faithfulness. Some of the schools had fantastic things painted on their banners just to remind and refresh, refresh the kids. Okay, that's my little bit. We'll tag team again now.
Thanks, Karen. So I hope that's given you a little idea of what a day in the life of a woman looks like. It's not easy. And um, the girls are trained. We saw little girls, your, your little ones, Bethany's age, walking along with their mums carrying water, you know, um, having to walk for 45 minutes, an hour to go every day to go and get that water. So if you're adding in that you're trying to wash these dis these reusable pads, um, that's a lot of water that you have to carry. It's a lot of extra that you have to do. So the crossroads that we're at now is we've got this, this, this amount of money. We've had really good conversations with the directors of the schools, um, asking them what how they want to proceed in terms of um, feminine hygiene. They've recognised it's an issue. They understand that it's important, not only for the girls in their care, especially at boarding schools, but also for their female teachers. They deal with it too. And um, because a lot of our schools are in the rural areas, there are more challenges for those. So there are things like water. There are things like if you live in community, do you really want to be washing those pads and hanging on the line every day so that everybody can see? Um, and you'll notice that the pads that we've handed around are all brightly coloured. And one of the reasons for that is because we were making them, the first lot that we um, gave out were white. Because in the West we have white pads, don't we? Um, and the request came back was, please, we, we don't, it's just too obvious. We don't, we don't want that. You know, so our goal is always to look at the dignity of the human being, and in this case, it's the women. Um, so, options. We can now. We have found out that in Kenya, there were um, this year, they have made disposable pads and tampons more available. So, the last time when the last team went in 2016. There were none on the shelves. Uh, and yet when we went this time, halfway through this year, there were rows and rows and aisles and aisles of all sorts of um, sanitary products. They've no, they don't pay tax on them. Hello, Australia, we pay tax on ours, okay? This is, this is a human rights issue. They do not pay tax on theirs. So the cost of these pads has come down so far that we are now moving towards thinking, if I had a choice, I'd be going for disposable, not about anybody else, but that's definitely where I'd be going. So we, we are now looking to see what we can do. But the issues around that are these. One, what do you do with the waste? So some schools have suggested we build incinerators. And um, this incinerators cost between two and a half to 4,000 US dollars to build. Um, there's a space issue and there is a maintenance issue around that. Not to mention the environmental issue of all the smoke. Having said that, the people like Karen who hadn't been there before, the smoke was a real issue, wasn't it? Because when you see them, the girls, they were cooking chapati, that was inside a building. And so they were cooking the meat, they were cooking the chapati, they were cooking vegetables over a wood fire. And so the smoke is always there. So that goes to respiratory health. So do we want to add to the problems of... Um, you know, air pollution by having an incinerator. So that's one option. The other option is we've made contact with um, uh, Rent to 
Lochiel, Sanic, whatever those, you know, those the bins in the loose, <laughs> whatever they're called. So there's one over there. So they they operate in the um, city areas and Simon's getting a quote to see if we can get bins into all of our schools. Now that's all good and well if they are well maintained, as you know. There's a certain odour if they are not. Um, so we need to see how that will work and whether they can come and take them away in the holidays or whether they will leave them and there's security issues around that. The third option is dispose disposing into the pit toilets, which from our perspective is the um, probably the most dignified way of getting rid of those used pads because then you don't have to worry because chances are the, the men, the male directors will say you can have one bin and it has to be outside the toilet. So you're going to have to hoik out with your and put it all put it all in. So there's issues around that. So, But if we have the pads in the toilets, the pits are going to fill up faster and we're going to have to dig new pits uh, because the toilets eventually reach saturation point and they don't actually um, break down particularly easily either. So this is where we're at. Okay, so we've got money. God's been incredibly faithful in that way. And these are the different ways forward now that we um, have to understand and work through. But the thing is that the directors are still at least talking about it. They're recognising that this is an issue for, you know, half the population and that their teachers are in the same boat. And um, if we can give them disposable pads, it will reduce the infections that many of the girls have because if you don't wash properly yourself and if you don't wash the pads properly or if it's rainy season and you have to put a wet pad in... It's not healthy. So these are the issues that we're dealing with. So you probably got more than you bargained for tonight, but those are <laughs> everybody's sitting here going, oh, I'm, I'm so glad I don't have that problem anymore. Or Laura's going, yes, I'm pregnant. I don't have to worry about that. Or you're going, can you believe it, those poor women? Okay, so... Um, what we need is your prayers, really just for wisdom on a way forward. We don't really know what is the best way to go and we're just trying to find, you know, the best way that we can um, provide dignity to these girls, but most of all keep them at school. And we know that God is faithful and we know that even though one gets weary from doing good, God is there and he is our rest. Thank you. Yes, questions, yes. So before disposable pads and before washable pads, what do, what do women do? How do you deal with your pads when they're at home and they're going to school? Okay. If they've got if they've got rags they'll use rags, but that they would then wash and have to hang out. And those rags would probably be used by all of the women in the household at various times. Otherwise, they have what called like a sandbox and they just kind of have to stay there. And if they're lucky, their dads will let them in with rags at night. Otherwise, they're out for the night. Mm. Now, it doesn't get particularly cold there, uh, not like Canberra cold, not for us. 
But for them, uh, we were there in winter and we were just there in our short sleeve polos, but they were really well dressed up. You know, they were rugged up. Yeah. They're basically, because they don't talk about it. And the thing that, um, you know, with our program is the girls will get education. So it, we've actually started to roll out the reusable pads that we took um, in the absence of anything else. St uh, Thomas, um, they started their program today. And our well health and wellbeing officer will go and she does a program with the girls. She'll get the girls who've just started and the girls who are moving into that stage and explain this is a natural part of life, this is how it works, this is what it's about, this is how you look after yourself. Because a lot of the... It's just not talked about, you know, it's sort of... They learn from each other, especially at boarding school. Um, and so in each school we've got a champion, a one to ma a female teacher who the girls can go to to get understanding and comfort and all of that sort of stuff. So mm. not easy. No. Any other questions? Yeah, Adeline. Well, we didn't actually ask that question because the it's it's really difficult to talk to the young girls about that. They really are squeamish about that. Um, but I can't imagine just because your skin's a different colour that you wouldn't get period pain. Um, and so I'm presuming that they just get on with it um, and uh, or else they just rest. Uh, I don't, you know... For those who have got money, they would go and they can buy. Panadol, you can buy it. But whether if you're choosing between Panadol and food, you're probably just going to choose food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and that's what's in the um, reusable pads. It's either cotton or um, bamboo leaves. Yeah, so that it's biodegradable over time. Yeah, no, no, that's right. They're not, no. And when they burn, they release chemicals and toxins, which is another thing to consider when you're looking at an incinerator. Um, basically, the cheapest products are not biodegradable. And if you don't have money, you will buy the cheapest product. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that environmental thing as well. Yeah. Um, I'll come to you in a sec. I have a question. I'm sure it looks so mild and fluffy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what, do you walk like this? Yeah, yeah, there are. Yes. And um, and so that's another option that we're exploring. And again, that becomes another education program that we would have to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, much easier. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm, mm. 
It's so reusable. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, so that's another option. Thank you. Yeah, we'll work on that. Yes. It's just not an option. Um, they still, in some, um, not in all of the areas, but in some areas they're still practising female genital mutilation as a matter of course. So I'm imagining that maybe menstrual cups won't be acceptable, but it's definitely worth finding out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So... The joyous thing is, though, that there are lots of options, <laughs> all right? There are lots of options and these girls are determined and they want to be at school and they want to learn. And, you know, most of us would be crying in a corner if we had to have a bucket, a um, little basin to wash ourselves every day and wash our clothes and it was cold water every day. There was never an option for hot water. You know, and when it was that time of the month and you just want to lie in your bed with your doona and your book and your hot water bottle, but you've got to get up and you've got to go and fetch water or look after the cow or whatever it is your parents are asking you to do. So, you know, they're incredibly resilient and their faith is so strong and it puts us to shame. It really does. We, we have no reason to be faithful in the West. We really don't. And that is why, because everything's so easy. You just turn on the tap, you turn on the light, you go to your bank account, you know, you go to the shops, there's always food there. You know, they really understand what faith is and they live it. And man, are they patient. <laughs> Incredibly patient. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. You're all falling asleep. Okay, see ya. <laughs> that we're not falling asleep. Yes, I think before we um, before we head off to supper, I think it would just be really good for us to. I'll just lead us collectively in a prayer, um, both for these um, precious women who can be impacted by this program, and just for the wisdom um, to know the right way forward. So, would you just join me in doing that? Father, again, we just remember that you are a faithful father who cares about every aspect of our life. And God, it actually matters to you how these women manage in the midst of um, um, their culture, how to manage their periods. And so, God, we just come to you um, as women and we ask, Father, that you would provide a wise and sustainable solution for these women um, through the faithful provision of this finance, Lord, for the Young Women's Program. But, we, God, we just really ask that you would um, take into account all the various aspects that need to be thought through here and that, God, you would help global school partners and the schools that they partner with in Kenya to come up with a solution that, that God is sustainable. And Lord, we, um, we just really want to uh, thank you for these Kenyan women. And uh, Lord, the, 
the tenacity that they have, God, um, and the faithfulness that they have, and particularly those women that Jan and Karen came in contact with during this trip, God. We ask, Father, that you would bless them and these young girls and young women, um, that you would bless them in their education, Father, and that um, as they fix their eyes upon you, that, God, you would lead them and show them your purposes in their lives. So we just commit all of these things to you, God, thankful that you are a big God. In Jesus' name, amen.